This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and Katie Balls. So, after a lot of back and forth, Katie, last night's vote did go through in the end with only 11 rebels. Tell us about what happened at the vote. I think as we saw with second reading just before Christmas, a lot of huffing and puffing from the rebels, a lot of mini press conferences, probably a little bit less this this time around. We didn't get more five families. <laughs> um, and I think the new conservatives in a way were doing more of the whipping and trying to make more amendments. But you still had this you know, late afternoon meeting with the various groups like the ERG to work out their plan of action. And I think it, it's just clear that while you had around 60 MPs voting for some of the amendments, which were not going to be added, they didn't have the numbers, to then make the jump from voting for an amendment to change a bill to just trying to defeat the bill was too big a jump for most. And you just have 11, as you say. And if you look at the list of those 11 MPs, Miriam Cates, Danny Kruger, Simon Clark, Suella Braverman... Robert Jenrick, they're not that surprising, is pretty much those you would expect to, either those who have quit over the bill and therefore I think if you are going to quit over the bill to then not rebel, people would say, well, was it worth it? And then also I think in the case of, for example, Simon Clark, those have been very critical of Rishi Sunak too. I think it's interesting that Lee Anderson, who obviously quit as deputy chairman because he wanted to vote for amendments, he said that he thought about, you know, voting against it and he started to walk into the the voting lobby saw these Labour politicians how they're you know laughing and thought actually I can't do it which I think is a sign that almost that tribal instinct of um, you know what party are you in did kick in for him and I think that particularly happens in an election year now there's lots of reasons it's still been a damaging week for Rishi Sunak but the number I think it, I think is reflective of the fact that there are some people who want to dent and hurt Rishi Sunak or think this bill is worth causing him problems but Lots of the MPs they get on side are looking at and thinking it's just a step too far. Mm. But Fraser, this is surely just a small victory at most because now the Rwanda bill goes to the laws and flights need to get off the ground. And then there also is a small case of the ECHR. So this is only (laughs) one small victory. Well, Katie says in her political column this week that she thinks the Lords won't be that much of a problem because the Labour peers want to pass it. They think, look, this thing is probably doomed. It will be a bigger embarrassment for the government if it fails in the courts than if it's somehow thwarted by Labour Lords. And number 10 is very much geared up for this, you know, the people versus the Lords kind of debate, uh, wanting to put Sunak desperately on, 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 the, on the same side as his party. I would be surprised if the Lords make a serious attempt just to stop it. Sure, they'll amend it, of course they will. But if I were the head of the Labour Party and the Lords, I would um, basically let this pass and Godspeed it towards the, the courts where we'll then see if Suella Braverman and Robert Jenrick are right. But more broadly, I think this um, demonstrates, uh, again, making Katie's pointed political column perfectly, about the the kind of the rebels without a clue. I mean, these 
guys were talking about dozens of rebellions, mm. really. The same with the, when the Windsor free, free Agreement, when that came out. In the end, they just found 11 of them. That is not enough to blow the skin of a sausage. They only needed 29, really. And they struggled to, to get even that over such a divisive issue. So what then was the effect of the rebellion? It certainly wasn't to um, weaken the legislation. It did serve to make the Conservative Party look like a feuding um, shambles, a, 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 a civil war mess. I'm not quite sure it did anything above and beyond that. Now, when you look at the next few months we've got ahead of us, I imagine the same group will probably try to kick off again. Because I don't think this is about Rwanda. I think there is a group of MPs who think the next general election is lost. And by the way, I think they'd be correct to think that. But they're already thinking, OK, let's start to fight now about what comes after. Mm. So this isn't a battle about Rwanda. This isn't a battle about principles. Because MPs go through a lobby all the time to vote for legislation that they don't really think will work. The whole point of being in a political party is you vote the way the whips tell you. It's not a matter of conscience. That is the way the parties work. But even the rebels aren't committed to it. I mean, to see Lee Anderson resign, resign as party deputy chairman so he can vote against the legislation and then change his mind when he goes into the lobby because he's being teased by Labour MPs. But that's another reminder how many of these MPs are relatively new. I mean, you should know that any time there's a rebellion, the opposition MPs will, of course, taunt as hard as they can the ruling party MPs who are coming to vote with the opposition. It's, you always get this ribbing. There's normally somebody standing outside directing the rebels into there, mocking them. And so Lee Anderson ought to have expected that. But to, to then decide that he wasn't going to rebel after having already quit his position does suggest that this isn't a rebellion that has particular form or purpose. It is just ill-directed anger. I think it, one of the things it shows is just, probably when it comes to the power of these groups, it feels as though, if you look at both second reading and third reading, the European Research Group, you know, you have some of these would-be rebels yesterday talking about how they were the Spartans once and they'll be the Spartans again. And of course, if this uh, bill becomes law and Rishi Sudok cannot get a flight to Rwanda, there is a chance that they do feel enhanced later down the line. But I think it is fair to say that the ERG did not have the same power mm. and grip and influence as they did a couple of years ago in the Theresa May era. And that just does mean that, you know, it's almost like living off the glory days uh, to suggest you have this. And perhaps now we've gone through so many of them, some of the coverage they get in the future will perhaps be, uh, take some of the predictions a little bit less seriously. Sequels are always hard to follow up on. Fraser, you, you say it's about the next election. What do you mean by that? Do you mean it's like posturing about who, who should be the opposition leader? Or? Yes, exactly so. And it's about what direction the party should take. So you've got like Simon Clark, who's close to this trust. He wanted to go in one direction. So Le Bravman wanted to go another um, and they're thinking to themselves, OK, let's assume that the question is going to be, what, why did Sunak go so wrong? But we can say we were standing against it. We resigned on principle, etc. Look at the Theresa May years. All the people who quit her government ended up in good positions under Boris. So let's quit now and start to fight Sunak so we can emerge as the solution to his problem. So we've got a YouGov poll today suggesting that the Labour lead has now widened to 27 points. And, and that poll also shows that the Tories are behind in the same way that Liz Truss was behind just before she left. So Rishi Sunak hasn't really made much of a dent? 
Well, I'm not quite sure how much weight to place on the YouGov polls. We've had two this week, both of which have made headlines. The big one, which The Telegraph splashed on a Monday, was a, um, a super poll saying that the Tories were heading for a 97 wipeout. I mean, we know that because all the poll consensus has been pointing to that for a while. But that said that the Tories were 13 points behind on 26% of the votes versus Labour's 39. Now, a few days later, we've got another YouGov poll saying the Tories are 27 points behind. So that's double the gap with Labour in the space of a few days. One of these polls has got to be wrong, I suspect. Now, I wouldn't mind if YouGov would would tell us uh, which one. But then again, we need to remember that pollsters have been wrong-footed by election results for many, many years now. The the YouGov poll before the 2015 election was calamitously wrong. I think the YouGov super poll before the 2019 election says yesterday a Tory majority of uh, the low 20s and turned out to be 81. Now, I'm not picking up on YouGov specifically because all the pollsters have really struggled to predict with much accuracy how the nation is going to vote. We always forget this. I mean, no matter how wrong opinion pollsters are, we always go back and look at them as being sages. But if you look at the um, poll of polls, we have it on the Spectator Data Hub, you can see an average of all the polls that are taking place. They fairly consistently point to Labour being 18 percentage points ahead, which in anybody's language is a landslide. And you'll struggle to find many opposition parties who've been so far ahead in an election year. And as you say, Cindy, Sunak's personal ratings also, by the Ipsos popularity um, um, monitor, is as low as any Prime Minister's has been. He's not quite as low as Liz Truss was, but it's pretty close. And he's already lower than, um, you know, Tony Blair, is Nadir, Boris Johnson's is Nadir, and Gordon Brown is Nadir. So he didn't start in positive territory. Most party leaders start with a net positive rating, which they steadily lose as they take the bullets which come with office. Sunak, we ought to remember, didn't even win a leadership contest, let alone a general election. So he was always going to start a little bit below water. He also did inherit quite an interesting time to come in, though, Fraser, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> he, he inherited a mess. Yeah, so, 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 which I'm, probably means it's harder to come in on a... Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. But it's quite often said that Sunak is more popular than his party. I mean, that is true. But nationally, it's hard to say that Sunak is a popular figure when you compare him to other prime ministers, which I think is a shame. I think he's actually one of the best people that's um, ever held office in number 10. Whether he's one of the best prime ministers is another question, but I think he's a man of incredible integrity and someone I personally admire quite a lot. So it doesn't, I get no pleasure out of saying, pointing to his approval ratings and saying that he's as basically as disliked as Gordon Brown ever was, but all the polls do suggest that politically he is not impressing voters. And of course that will be partly because the Tories in general will come across as a shambles and no surprise when you look at headlines like like this morning's. Yeah, and it's also clear his personal rating, you know, is slumping down now to Conservative Party levels. Well, and I remember it's... people saying that you'd have a situation whereby, you know, either that what uh, Richard's supporters wanted was for him to pull up the Tory party's mm. ratings. Instead, it feels as though anything has been pulled down. Um, I think looking at that Times poll, one of, one of the things when you see it is, which I feel shows we're almost in this Tory doom loop at the moment, which is just... Some will look at, the rebels will look at that poll and say, see, we're 20 points, this is a disaster, we told you he was rubbish, it's because he won't listen to to us on the boats. Whereas number 10 will look at that poll and say, 
yeah, this is what happens when we all fight each other and look incredibly divided. As was said this week, you know, uh, you know in their presentation to MPs, voters don't vote for divided parties. So I don't think uh, these polls ever bring much clarity in the sense of more just entrenches where, where you think you already are. Katie and Fraser, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. Now, if you want to have a chance to produce this podcast, we have a vacancy on the broadcast team. So do send in your applications. Uh, If you go to spectator.co.uk forward slash broadcast producer, you can find more details. uh, And the deadline for applications is 21st of January.